Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. A new year beckons and with thoughts of spring on the horizon and the days gradually lengthening, now is an ideal time to focus your mind on the growing season that lies ahead. It's a time that can be filled with promise, plans and good gardening practice. So let myself and Saul entertain you with ideas for your garden, be it a compact courtyard or an estate with meandering acres. Horticultural principles remain constant whether your plot is large or small, so we hope that these episodes bring you the confidence, inspiration and reassurance to step out into your garden with enthusiasm. We'll also run occasional interviews with our gardening peers, giving insight into this multifaceted and fascinating industry. It's why myself and Lucy collectively have 45 years of professional horticultural dirt under our fingernails, and why we can't imagine our worlds without the joy and creativity gardening brings. If you want to be part of this journey, please do join us each week to look into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Hello and uh, thank you very much again for joining us for another episode of Talking Heads. It is Talking Head this week because I spoke to Saul earlier this week and he was a busy chap doing talks and I was busy with half term. So, yeah, Saul's doing three talks this week and he actually was a bit nervous that he might run out of things to say for the podcast. And I said, don't be foolish. That is never going to happen. Don't worry, I set him straight. Um, but anyhow, he's giving his voice a rest. And I thought that this week, well, actually, it was Saul's idea. He said, this week, why don't you do a Grow Your Own themed episode? And I thought, well, do you know what? I'm not going to be asked twice about that, am I? So I put his arm off and said, yes, please. And here I am. <laughs> so I am... Wanting to give you an oversight as to what happens in February, because we're in the middle of the month now, and everyone gets very twitchy these days about starting off their crops and getting things going. And in this world of social media, everyone wants to be the first one to do this and the first one to do that. And I, I am here to say, calm it down. Don't panic. There's plenty of time. So in that uh, vein, I am standing in my greenhouse, which is pretty empty at the moment. It will be brimming with seedlings and all sorts of exciting things through February, March and into April. And then eventually I'll start sowing things outside when the soil gets warm enough for me to do so. So it will be brimming with seedlings at some point. But at the moment it is devoid of pretty much everything apart from my succulent collection that I've had in here over the winter to keep them dry. I've got some rather nice looking autumn sown sweet peas that I'm going to have over my archways in my own garden. I should add, I'm at home today. I've been at the hall and uh, you may remember me saying that um, this year, because things are all higgledy-piggledy and shifting around, uh, we're not growing an awful lot of veg in the kitchen garden. We've got the fruit. I've been pruning raspberries today, but yeah, the kitchen garden at the hall is having a rest. So my own garden, in um, complete sharp contrast, is having a bit of a push on what we're going to be doing. But as I say, I haven't actually sown very much at all yet. The only thing I have sown and um, I'm going to move over to them. Hello. Hello, you beauties. I have sown some broad beans. And I'm going to fess up now because there's two schools of thought on broad beans. They're a Marmite veg. You either love them or hate them. And lots of people, including myself, sow them in the autumn. And sometimes we get a really good crop and other years we don't. But it's a risk we're quite happy to take because uh, they freeze really well. You can get a glut um, in early in the year, so they come into a cropping. If you sow them in the autumn, they'll actually be podding up in May. Then you can harvest the whole lot, freeze them if you want to, eat a lot of them, obviously, 
and um, then get them out and then all your tender crops can go in. So things like your dwarf beans or squashes, courgettes, all those things can literally jump into their graves. So it's a very handy little crop cycle. Ordinarily, autumn sown board beans would have been really good, but you might have remembered back in November, we had rather a mild spell. We were recording 20 degrees C in the UK in November, which is quite unusual for us. Normally we're down to maybe 12, 13, 14 maximum by in the daytime that month, but it was up to 20. So everything was going really a bit too fast, including my autumn sown broad beans, which actually I had delayed sowing until I thought the weather's going to be cooling down now. They'll grow nice and stocky and sturdy, but oh no, Mother Nature thought other things. So yeah, the um, broad beans grew too fast and soft and sappy. And then literally on a turn of a sixpence, showing my age there, <laughs> the um, the temperature just nosedived and we had minus six for um, quite a few nights. I think it was, a, we had a cold snap that was about 10 nights altogether. And um, minus six was the coldest temperature I recorded here in our little garden. And the beans, I thought, do you know what? They're hardy. They couldn't take the mild spell, followed by an immediate cold snap of that length and uh, and strength. So I looked at them in this earlier this month and I just thought, you look a sorry old bunch. There was a few hanging on, a few have been knocked back completely. And so I've sowed a whole another batch of broad beans and I've sown Demonica, which is a very quick maturing spring sown variety. And it, uh, I've grown it before in, alongside my autumn sown Aquadolci. And actually it does only mature if sown in spring uh, compared to Aquadolci sown in autumn. It will mature maybe a fortnight later. So in that sense, yeah, 10 to 14 days max. So in that sense, it's a very good board bean. I have got lots of them here. I'm gazing at about um, 100 plants at least. So I'm going to put some in the garden here. The ones that don't fit in here, I will then put on the allotment. And hopefully with the wing in the prayer, because the allotment doesn't have any water to it and it's on a light sandy soil. But if the weather's kind to me, I will get some lovely board beans come June. So that's what I have sown. That is literally the only thing I've got sown in my greenhouse at the moment. And it's already the, what are we today? The 16th of February. So I normally, I would be sewing my socks off. I just haven't this year. We've had half term this week. There you go. It's life. Uh, we are at least authentic on the Talking Heads podcast. <laughs> we don't try and kid you that we're doing things that we're not. So I will be very soon sewing the crops that I think need a very long growing season in order to do well either in the UK climate because we're a temperate climate and some of these crops are tropical or because the crops just generally need a long growing season. So I will explain to you while stood in my greenhouse those crops. So it's known by quite a lot of people that chilli peppers need a long growing season and the hotter the pepper as a general general guide, although it's always red herrings thrown in there, the hotter the pepper, the longer the growing season it needs. So if you're talking about your scorpions, your nagas, your habaneros, your scotch bonnets, they, a lot of people sow them in late January if they're real chilly heads and that's great if you've got an environment which is very well lit and heated in order to do so. I haven't. I've got um, an indoor space but it's not got good light levels so I'm actually not sowing any, I wouldn't normally sow anyhow until early February for my chilies so I would normally have those in by about now. And then also other crops such as slow to mature crops. So here I'm talking about things like parsley, which can often take two or three weeks to actually germinate. And then it takes a little while to, to bulk up. And actually it's it's nice and hardy, so you can get that as an early herb in your garden. And also celery and celeriac. Now I grow celery at the hall. I obviously won't be doing that this year, but normally I would be sowing my celery in February. And then also celeriac. They're in the same family. They're both umbiliferous crop, that lovely domed seed head that they 
produce. So yeah, celery and celeriac are a slow growing crop. My parents, when they were not retired, when they were there in their small holding days, we would grow probably about an acre and a half, two acres of celery for a winter crop. So it'd be all ready to mature for um, the run up to Christmas and after Christmas and into the new year. And I have very vivid memories of trying to harvest celery when it's actually frozen solid uh, in my oil skins during the Christmas school holidays. <laughs> and um, I don't, I'll leave you to decide whether they're fond memories of the winter harvest or not. We would sow celery in February. Uh, Mum would sow loads of celery in seed trays and then we'd actually prick it out. So it can be sown en masse and then transplanted out. And that's what I'll do with my celery and celeriac and the parsley as well. There's, these are all crops that don't mind being pricked out or what? Picked out is the term for transplanting them from the seed tray, uh, where you sow lots of seeds together all among themselves, to individual pots or modules. And that term is called pricking out those three crops, celery, celeriac, parsley. They don't mind being pricked out. Carrots are a different story, unless you go in the stump-rooted carrots. You really can't prick carrots out at all. They don't like it because that taproot gets disturbed. I will be sowing some carrots as well. I often sow them into an old wine crate or a big deep pot. The pots that you have for roses and clematis, the ones that are quite deep when you buy them from the garden centre, maybe 30, 40 centimetres tall, that kind of size pot. They are great for carrots and you can sow a very early variety of carrot now, like Amsterdam forcing, and you can sow it quite thinly on the surface, put it somewhere that, again, good light and warmth. We're talking here maybe about 15 degrees centigrade, something like that for the carrots. Um, and they will germinate quite slowly, but they'll give you little baby carrots by the time you get to um, late May, something like that. So it's quite nice to have a little early treat of forced carrots too. The chilies, I should add, I'll be sowing in a really uh, warm propagator. They would be a minimum of 20 degrees. So chilies do really need a, a, a very high temperature in comparison to other crops to germinate. So ideally, have a heated propagator which has got a variable thermostat on the bottom and that will allow you then to sow your chilies early in the year at 20 and then you can turn it down to maybe 10-12 degrees if you want to sow things that are much more robust like your hardy salads and brassicas. I should talk about my propagator because I'm standing here looking at it. I've been looking at it for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> it's got, like I say, not an awful lot in it at the minute. It's just some overwinter pelagonium cuttings from the hall. Uh, it's something that I bought my goodness, this propagator, if it could talk, I bought this when I was 15 years old. So I am now 30 years senior to that, at least. I'm not going to give away the specific time. But yeah, 30 years, this propagator has served me well. It's, as I say, got a variable controlled temperature, all controlled by a thermostat. So you've got a dial, you can turn it up, you can turn it down. You can sow a wide range of crops and give them exactly what they need if you have one of these. You put sand in the base of them. And what the sand does, it, it makes the heat distribution more even and you keep the, the sand nice and moist and it's also nice and hygienic as well. It's, it's sterile and so it keeps things nice and clean. What you can do to calibrate it is make sure that you have a minimum and maximum thermometer. So you, you put your dial on number two, for example, and you check what the temperature is there and write it down. And then you turn it right up to, mine goes up to seven, so you crank it right up to six or seven, see what the temperature was there. And then that obviously then gives you an understanding of what you need to turn your dial to, to establish a certain temperature within your propagator. So it's all quite straightforward. Right, where is the next area for me to go to? Let's have a look. The greenhouse, I should add, is empty. I've got all my salads out that were overwintering here. I've taken them out. The greenhouse border now is completely empty. What I want to do is 
clean my greenhouse. The glass has got quite a lot of algae on it. I can see there's cobwebs and bits of detritus here, there and everywhere. So I'm going to sweep it all out. And then I'm actually going to uh, clean the glass. So wipe that down just with some warm water with maybe a little bit of detergent in it. I use a citrus-based cleaner in my house. And these citrus-based cleaners actually are, uh, in the sense, they're natural. They're not based on noxious chemicals because some of these sterilants can be quite potent and you need to open all the windows and doors and be very mindful of the flow of good air through the greenhouse whilst you're using the product. This Citrox, it's still got a bit of poke to it in the sense that it's got um, lots of citrus oils that make your throat tickle, but it's, it's not noxious in that sense. So I'm going to be using Citrox to clean the greenhouse down. And greenhouse is pretty much empty. I want to break the life cycle of any pests and diseases in here. So things such as uh, if there's any red spider mite overwintering, which I did have uh, a little bit of that in the late summer of last year. So knocking on the head any red spider mite. I don't have mealybug, but if you have mealybug, again, that gets in the nooks and crannies of all your uh, greenhouse eaves. So it's very good for dealing with that. And also things such as botrytis, damping off um, pathogens, of which there's, there's quite a few. Those sorts of moulds and nuisances can all be eliminated if you clean up your greenhouse in this way. Okay, so I'm now outside in the garden. I left the greenhouse behind. The warmth of the greenhouse is a slight breeze today. I did get rained on this morning, but it's okay. I'm a hardy girl. You may have seen my Instagram live where I showed you my layers. I'm not, there's no way any, any rain is going to get through all those... I think I had eight layers on, uh, if you tallied up the top and the bottom. Uh, so, yeah, it's important when you're a gardener to dress appropriately. Oh, I can hear, I'm going to turn this way because I can hear the breeze affecting the microphone a little bit. Just quickly looking back to the greenhouse again, uh, you can, as February moves forth and we go into March, you can pretty much start sowing whatever you like. Do hold back on things like sweet corn and squashes so when i say squash i mean things like pumpkins courgettes butternuts all those sorts of things because they germinate really quickly uh, and they grow very quickly as well and they are more tender they won't like being sown very early because then they won't be able to be put outside until going into mid-may depending on where you are in the in the uk or in the world and by that time they may well have become very root bound and congested and when that happens the plants receive a checking growth so hold back there's no need to sow everything at all there really really isn't and if you are say feeling the pressure of wanting to get stuff sown please don't worry there's lots and lots of things that really don't want to be sown until the earliest late march going into april i never sow my sweet corn before april and uh, we're way off that yet so as i say sweet corn squashes uh, even, you know, French, dwarf French beans, if you want to get a crop of those in, or, or climbing French beans, runner beans. Again, they all are happy sown uh, much, much later in spring. What you can do is sow things like hardy lettuce, uh, hardy salad leaves now. I will be doing some hardy spinach and some little baby turnips as well. I'll get those all sown. I want American landcress. I do like American landcress as well because it's like a, a watercress alternative, but it doesn't need the water. <laughs> surprisingly being called as landcrest the name sort of gives it away the greenhouse is going to be a busy place for many of us throughout the spring so i'm just walking around my outside of my garden now and i'm looking at oh i've got um, a morello cherry here i've got some potted fruit trees and i've got a nice edible cherry this one is sunburst which is a lovely self-fertile one i've also got a cherry plum which actually gave me lots of fruit last year and it's got really cheerful pink flowers they're very delicate pink so that's lovely 
And um, yeah, the buds, what I was going to say was the buds are all starting to move. You can see things are budding up. Life is on the move in the garden. Um, especially things such as anything in the prunus family, which would be your cherries. My, also, I haven't got an apricot, but if I had an apricot, that would be budding up now. If you have been watching any of my Instagram lives, you will have seen my peach. I've been tying it in. It's all fan trend up against a couple of fence panels. And it's now looking very undignified because it's covered over in a big turquoise sheet. And that is to control peach leaf curl. So peach leaf curl is quite a destructive problem for peaches and also nectarines as well. Not so much apricots. The apricots tend to be fairly immune to peach leaf curl. The peach is covered up with a big plastic sheet to keep it dry and that stops the peach leaf curl spores from germinating and stops the leaf curl fun fungus from attacking your peach in the spring. It's literally that simple. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. It's the cat. <laughs> oh, Isaac's just having a rub against the cloches. Hello, Don. Have you got anything to add to this episode of the podcast? There you go. That was a headbutt from our black and white cat. Oh, yes, thank you. I know, I'm, I'm telling everybody about you, don't you worry. Right, I'm looking at a fig. That's really bedding up nicely, my Rouge de Bordeaux. I'm not going to be pruning that until uh, April or May. I say the peach has all been pruned in the summer. Or I, sh I should add any stone fruit, such as a peach or a cherry or um, an apricot or a green gauge or whatever it might be, any of these fruits that have got stones in, they aren't pruned in the winter. They are much more prone to silver leaf and bacterial canker if they're pruned in the winter months. So we tend to do the pruning in the summer once we've harvested the fruits. At the hall, I've been pruning raspberries. So the autumn raspberries I've all cut down to the ground. I literally did that this morning. And the summers, I have also been thinning out the canes and tying in the healthy canes, the tallest ones. So there's work that can be done on raspberries at this time of year. The next job for me at the hall is to tackle the orchard trees, as in the apples and pears because they are, we've got quite a lot of open centred trees there. We've got about nine in a grid and I will be pruning the apples and pears in the next couple of weeks. Right, moving on. Any of you who are growing winter brassicas, the best thing to do with them now is to eat them as quickly as you possibly can because come March going into early April, as they get the lengthening days and the warmer temperatures, all the brassicas <laughs> will bolt. So things like your kale... Uh, savoy cabbages, cauliflowers, anything like that you've, you've had sitting there feeding you through the winter, they're invaluable for that. They will start to throw up a big old flower spike come the spring. Also leeks as well, if they need to be eaten as well because come the spring they will all throw up their flower spike being a biennial vegetable and that will spoil their eating quality too. I'm just also looking at a row of hazels that I've got here in my garden. So I've got one, two, three, four, five on one side <laughs> Isaac's just attacking oh bless you Isaac's just attacking one and I've got two three huge big stands of them on the left as well these will be harvested for pea sticks I really need to get moving on this because I can see the buds have already started to swell they haven't burst yet but they're going to be very soon bursting into life and they're great for being poles and they're also perfect for making frames for my peas and my broad beans and also sweet peewee grams everything i use my my pea sticks for an awful, awful lot of things in my garden propping up herbaceous perennials as well so oh, my brussels sprouts are hanging on looking at those um, again eat those relatively quickly now if you can rhubarb forcing pots can now be put in place i'm looking at my rhubarb patch i've got three three different types i've got livingstone which is actually one that crops all the time it's already way ahead of the others and it's marketed as an autumn cropping 
rhubarb, but that she is just doesn't seem to want to stop growing ever. I've got raspberry red, which is a rather lovely one, and I've got timberly early, and I'm going to put little forcing pots over each of those. I should say that my forcing pots are nowhere near as fancy as the ones at the hall, which are the traditional beautiful forcing sort of bell-shaped pots with a very fancy lid. Mine are old terracotta chimneys with a terracotta saucer put on top to exclude all light. So uh, <laughs> they're not quite so fancy, but they still look nice. I've had some compliments about them on uh, social media, so I think they still look okay. If you are going to force some rhubarb, the light is excluded. And what that does, it makes the stems grow sort of a bit stretched and leggy, which is a rather unglamorous thing. But actually in the world of rhubarb, it's fantastic because it means, as I say, the flavour and the texture is really delicious. Make sure your crown of rhubarb is quite mature and established. Don't do it to a young plant. They need to bulk up in size before they're forced because it can be quite an exhausting process for the plant. So wait for it to be mature when it's got a strong root system and it can take that kind of treatment. And then put the pot over, but also put down something that's your preferred method of slug control, whether it be a barrier, although there's been research showing that barriers aren't as effective as they we all thought. So I do use organic slug pellets. Uh, I don't know why they've made them blue, because they make people think that they're metaldehyde-based ones. They're not. They're organic ones based on iron. So I will put a few of those down, because that when you put the forcing pot over, you've created this lovely, shady, dark, moist environment. And what loves that as much as my rhubarb? The slugs and the snails. Isaac Poober, he's back again. Hello, my lovely. He's having a sniff. <sighs> right, so what else can I see that's going on here in the Grow Your Own world? What you can do at this time of year, and what I've been doing quite actively, uh, Mr C has been helping me, my... my uh, long-suffering husband is always luckily he likes gardening as well so he doesn't complain at all we have been out here just getting the beds ready so we've been getting rid of any overwintering weeds also digging in a little bit of fertilizer and we've got some manure on order as well some well-rotted manure from the locals who have horses so that's all going to be going in the ground so getting the ground ready to receive the crop i am on a quite a light sandy soil by its nature then it's actually quite poor with its nutritional value its fertility is actually quite low so we do need to feed it quite a lot and also the organic matter that we add makes it more moisture attentive as well so there's a double a whammy of, of benefits going on there if you've got a heavy clay soil again adding organic matter is really useful so it actually then alleviates any compaction opens up the, the, the structure of the soil and makes it less compacted and claggy and also it's adding nutrition although saying that clay soils tend to be by their nature quite fertile and quite good at holding on to nutrients so if you have a clay soil don't worry so much about adding nutrients to it but just do add some kind of bulky organic matter whether it be composted bark or your own garden compost or you buy in a whole load of something that will really help its structure i have got some little cold frames either side of my greenhouse they're very dainty pretty little things and what i've got in them i've got some elephant garlic in there which is it's fairly robust, but it's it can be whacked back by really severe cold. So I've got that in there, just being slightly protected. So I've got French tarragon, and that also is a little bit of a delicate herb. So I popped it in my cold frame to keep it away from the worst of the winter chills. I'm just actually also standing by my black kale. You swines, you're already starting to run up to flower. Get your kale harvested, your collies, your sprouts. The spring is on the move. I'll just quickly look at my blueberries. You tend to prune them as the buds swell and burst, which they're just starting to do now. They're just starting to swell and you can see whether your, your blueberry stems are alive or dead. It's quite clear that all of these are looking really, really good. They're quite young blueberries here. I've got six of them I'm looking at. One, two, 
no, seven. I beg your pardon, seven. Got seven blueberries, all um, different varieties, some early, some mid, some late. So I get a lovely long season of blueberries. Uh, but you can quite clearly see if there's been any dieback. I've got a little tiny bit of dieback on one I can just see in there. The stems are like a sort of silvery white. And so those can be nibbled out now and pretty much leave it at that. I've got some gooseberries here as well. Again, there's a pruning job that needs to be done here. Mine are trained as fans, and so any side shoots that I've got are just going to be cut back to the main framework. If you've got freestanding gooseberry bushes, then you can cut those so that the centre is more open and less congested. That's quite handy if you get then gooseberry sawfly attacks later in the year. You can see the attacks because it's not all hidden in the middle. There's no middle to hide in, and you can then take action to control it. My strawberries are just outside as well, having a cold snap because they need to be exposed to the cold. I've got, sorry, I've got the cat here again. He's just sitting here looking at me as if he wants me to... Anything else to say, Isaac? A big old yawn and two headbutts there for you, you lucky people. My strawberries are all laying on their sides. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven troughs of strawberries. They've been exposed to a winter chill this year. So the strawberries have been synchronised by the cold snap. They're lying on their sides so they don't get waterlogged because strawberries hate waterlogging, especially in the winter. And now I can start moving the early varieties into my greenhouse in order for them to flower and fruit. And I'll get fruits in late May and then the outside ones will start cropping in June and some will then go into early July. So I will get a lovely succession of strawberries. So if you're looking at your strawberries and they've still got all the leaves on from last year, all the brown dead leaves, they can be taken off. The little green healthy rosettes will then gradually burst into life and all will be good in the world of strawberries. Okay, so I think that's pretty much it in my garden. So a mixture of fruit and veg. If you've got any questions, please do ask me. I am doing more and more Instagram lives, which I find really pleasant things to do. So that's uh, Head Garden LC. Uh, I'd love to see you there and have a chat with you there if you've got any questions. Otherwise, we will see you again next week for Talking Heads. That brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to you joining us again for the next instalment. If you'd like to contact myself or Saul, we're free to chat on our social media platforms. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at HeadGardenLC, and you can find Saul on Twitter at GardeningSaul. Any review you'd like to leave via your podcast provider would be gratefully received. Winter peels back the garden's layers to reveal its bare bones, allowing us to reflect, assess and adjust our intentions. Visits to specialist nurseries, orders with seed merchants and conversations with our employers all drive exciting changes for the year rolling out before us. Emerging snowdrops, swelling buds and strengthening sunlight all indicate that something momentous is about to occur and we'd love to experience that with you. So, until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.